everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us for an outstanding episode of Story World Creation, discussing what works. Today, we'll explore new ideas for crafting the world that encompasses our fiction writing projects. We will introduce the topic and offer some suggestions and field questions from participants. From crafting to organizing and tracking world building, we plan to cover the landscape of approaches frameworks, strategies, and tricks used by our different writers. Prepare yourself for another episode full of laughter, learning, and new ideas for readers and writers. I'm Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Boop, boop, boop. And I got a fabulous co-host too. She's the master of the universe and the master of our website. Hi, Kathy. Hi, everybody. So glad to be here with all of you. And let's get things started with our prompts. This week's prompt was to take a nursery rhyme or children's type song and change the words. So here's mine. Mine is from Bingo. Remember the the little dog Bingo, B-I-N-G-O? Well, mine is named Story. There was a girl who liked to tell tales to make you happy. S-T-O-R-Y, 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 and Story was her name. Oh, Carol Mackey. Thank you. I love this. It was fun. The melody that I use for mine is Old MacDonald's Farm. Title, eek, E-I-E-I-O. If I could only write a book, E-I-E-I-O. I didn't know it was so hard, E-I-E-I-O. With a right, right here and a right, right there. Now I write and then I write everywhere I must write. If I could only write a book, E-I-E-I-O. Perhaps it's sinking. I should try, E-I-E-I-O. The choice is yours. It's up to you, E-I-E-I-O. With a wrong note here and a right note there, here a note, there a note, everywhere a new note. Perhaps it's singing, I should try, E-I-E-I, no! (laughs) Next up is Marlene. Oh, this is fantastic. I love this. I'm going to read first. Linda Voss's. Her prompt is based on the song by the Serendipity Singers called Don't Let the Rain Come Down from 1964 or 65 thereabouts. There was a crooked dog owned by a crooked boy. He dug a crooked hole and found a crooked toy. They played a crooked game upon a crooked lawn. And they all fell asleep until the crooked dawn. Now I'm going to read mine. (laughs) This is um, Mary Mary Quite Contrary by Marlene Massot. 
Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your poetry grow with simple rhymes and stanza lines not aligned all in a row? Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your rhyme flow with simple verse? Very slow at first. It takes care and practice, you know. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow with fits and bursts until it's worth its place? ready to show the end next up is carla hayes hickory dickory dock my clock began to talk the chime struck eight and i was late hickory dickory dock then the other one i have is based on baba black sheep and it's wah wah mommy and the subtitle is a weary mother's nursery rhyme here it goes wah wah mommy Yes, child, yes, child, please don't be so rude. One bottle for my baby, one bottle for my boy. Now count your sheep and go to sleep and snuggle with your toy. The end. Next up is Lisa G. This is based on the rhyme Hush Little Baby, which turned into Mockingbird uh, in 1963 into a song. Hey, writing buddies, hear me now. Cheryl and Cassie have some fun for you. Interviewing authors gives us info, especially our own writing hero. If round robins don't give you a tickle, they'll make sure your writing's not fickle. And if that writing doesn't sound right, they'll provide a lesson to make it tight. And if you don't fancy the lesson taught, they'll give you a writing prompt for thought. Try a writing prompt today. Let's find out what you have to say. thank you (laughs) i think you have a career ahead of you girl (laughs) next up is stephanie all the readers have a great ball all the readers they never fall all the king's writers and all the king's men have so much fun to story back again (laughs) thank you that's a great one this is to the tune of the wheels on the bus and it's on self observation the thoughts in the mind go up and down round and round up and down the thoughts on the mind go round and round all through the day the thoughts in the mind say you are wrong i am right you are wrong the thoughts in the head say i am right all through the day the thoughts in the mind say all I want, all I want, all I want. The thoughts in the mind say all I want and never what I need. The thoughts in the mind go way, way back, way, way back, way, way back. The thoughts in the mind go way back when and think of terrible pass. The thoughts in the mind predict, predict, foresee, foretell. Thoughts in the mind go predict, and I got to rewrite that and share the scare me half to death. Thoughts in the mind just lie, 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 lie. The thoughts in the mind just lie, lie, lie. And the thoughts in the mind just can't shut up. They stay away from now. So if you want to shut them up, shut them up, shut them up. You can be free to be, be, be with the mood that's set free. That's a good, good one. Good Very job. positive. You know, Cheryl, this reminds me, I used to do this with my kids all the time. Mm-hmm. 
but it's great to see people enjoying this prompt. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for bringing and it. And it helps. Cheryl. And it helps with that creativity, writing. You know, it, it's inspiring. Um, I also want to mention that we talk about copyright a lot of times. These are very, very old. They are far beyond copyright restrictions, the tunes and things like that. So it's not something to be concerned about that. So today is a workshop. And as usual, it's going to be an interactive like we've been doing lately, where we're kind of mining the knowledge of you folks in our audience as writers. And those who are not writers or, or beginning writers have not delved into this particular topic yet or strategy. We're going to be looking to you for questions to stir up our thinking as well. I'm going to provide just a short introduction about Story World. So this makes a little sense for folks not familiar with it. But please raise your hand when I ask questions, and then we'll be able to get your feedback on different topics. So when I'm talking about Story World, uh, we're particularly talking about fiction, usually, because you have to create so much. But if you think about historical fiction, it's involved in there and history. But whether it's short stories or novels or a series, we create a world in which these stories take place. And many people call it a story world. If you think about it, we can think of a familiar story such as Robin Hood. And you can quickly tell me about that story world. It's embedded in your mind. You know some of the main characters are Maid Marian and Little John and Friar Tuck. And you know where they live, right? And you know how they hunt and they fight. They use bows and arrows. And you have in your mind's eye, perhaps, what kind of clothes they might wear. They have these little pointed caps, right? And so all these different details about their surroundings and their worlds immediately pop into your mind when we say Robin Hood. And that's because you have a clear understanding of their story world. That's what we're talking about. And you know these things about where they're located, the time, the period of time, roughly, even the living structures they're in, because you're familiar with the story. And as the story has been retold over and over, you have seen and heard these details over and over. The excitement and challenge of being a writer of fiction is that we get to create that entire story world for our readers. And it's both exciting and challenging. The difficulty comes in in that we have to keep track of all of those details that we create in that story world. And some types of fiction, historical fiction, like we have with Reese Bowen, she would go back in history and research and find the details. So they're concrete, they're defined, and then she could fill in some details with fiction that are not known. But certain parameters already exist. And if you're doing fiction about present day or near present day, then people understand the conveyances, transportation, et cetera, housing, different things. If you're talking about the country people are from. So uh, there's a lot of tacit understanding things just people just immediately understand. But when you break out into other genres like sci-fi, think about all the different things that you have to develop to create this story world. And this is where you really begin to realize how many pieces there can possibly be 
when you're creating a story world for your story, your novel, your short story, your piece of fiction to take place. And some of these you can approach as questions. Some of them you contemplate and you can break them down in different parts. But just think with me, for instance, if you're thinking about the 24th century and you're thinking about a spaceship, you have to figure out as an author, eventually at some point before you write, while you're writing, or in the midst of writing, you have to begin to keep track of transportation systems. What are they eating? How is their environment maintained? What is their environment? What kind of dwellings do people live in or rooms or spaces? What are the threats they experience and dangers? What kind of government or organization or collective system is there? What are family units in this community? And the list just goes on. Um, To the point in sci-fi, also you're talking about species. And then for each of the species, now we also have to think about what do they eat? What do they look like? How do they move, et cetera? How do they communicate? And so as I list all those things, you might go, oh my goodness, how the heck do you ever imagine all of that? That's pretty exciting part. The tricky, tricky part is keeping track of all of it. Because as readers, we all know how frustrating it is when the author is not consistent. We will call out that author in an instant for that. Whether they said in the first chapter that the major mode of conveyance was a spaceship, and then all of a sudden they say it's a transporter, they've got a different name and it works differently contradictions that start happening. The character all of a sudden has different color eyes or is a different height or, you know, things that we know if they're a human being, those things don't change. We have to, as authors, be responsible so that the reader doesn't get frustrated with us and just toss our work aside. And that's the motivation for part of the motivation for us to keep track of these things. So one of my big questions is that thinking about whether we, as writers, create these story worlds, do we start sketching them out before we start writing? Do you start writing a little bit and then start sketching it out? Or do you just start writing, write a whole bunch, and then start documenting it? But first, I thought, that would be my second question. My first question, I think, for our writers is for maybe two of our writers to share What has been one of their favorite story worlds they have enjoyed creating and why did they enjoy creating it? So really briefly, in one minute, describe a story world you've created and why you enjoyed creating it so that our readers and other participants can get a handle on what we're talking about. I used the Robin Hood example, but who else has an example of a story world they created? One of my story, it's, it's I guess, a, like a sub part of my world would have been a bit of a crime scene. You're, you're correct in saying that you have to have consistency and plausibility when you're dealing with human and, and the real world. Well, that brings up a fabulous point that we can think of these as kind of like sub scenes, you know, the different details and sections of the writing that we're doing and making sure that this aspect of it that this world is accurate. That's very good, yeah. Mm -hmm. The second part, your second question, I think, well, that was 
one of my favorite scenes to write. But um, the second part is I tend to do all of the above in that I have a base of what I want my character to be. And then they sort of write themselves into the book. But as I'm doing it, I write down every, they each have their own file, each character, no matter how small they are. And if they are a secondary character, they go under uh, secondary characters and passerbyers. Just in case I want to bring them back into the story, I know that, okay, well, I used Fred back here and I did mention his middle name. People call him, you know, Freddy, one, one, one finger Freddy or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So that you can bring that character back and exactly that, what you said, in that you're not changing your story. You're, you're, you're sticking to the same base. Exactly. You're not contradicting yourself and confusing the reader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're bringing back in that character again. And, and I know I, as a reader, love that when this, um, this little figure, this character that's been in the background, all of a sudden shows up again, and you learn more about them, and they take a different role. That's a very fun feature uh, I find in the works that I read. Thank you for sharing that, Amy. Thanks. Next up is Anne Chapetta, and after Anne will be Abby Taylor. Hey, everyone. I love world building. I'm a big sci-fi and fantasy reader, and I've tried a little bit of world building and story building in my short stories, and I just I – li- I think I like the challenge of, of creating something believable, even though it's fantasy or sci-fi, and making the characters realistic – living and working inside that world. That's the big challenge is making it believable, even though it's fantastic. (laughs) So, Mm. and as for the characters, I do the same thing Amy does. I have file character files and I start out, you know, with the basic stuff for, you know, major characters, who they are, what their name is, what they look like, some of their favorite things that kind of stuff, you know, in, in related to the world that they're going to be interacting in. And uh, I, you know, I try to just develop the basics first. And then if I need to go back and you know, do a little more about the environment or whether they eat mushrooms every day to survive, you know, or not, you know, uh, what, how believable that is. Like, you know, so there's a lot of that going on in story building making it as realistic as you can so people when they're reading they they don't have to suspend their beliefs about what's what's logical and not logical and as a reader that's what loses me too it's like if i'm reading a story and i'm like wait a minute i gotta just you know i don't know if i that doesn't work for me you know so i try to keep that in the back of my mind when i'm writing as well Excellent. That gives a very different perspective. That's helpful. Yeah. It'll be interesting to hear in a bit when we get to our readers, what they're looking for in story worlds. Good, good. Thank you. Okay, Abby will be the last one for this question. Well, I was actually going to answer your second question about the plotter or pantser. Well, I am a pantser. Uh, I get an idea in my head. In my head. I kind of get a basic idea of how the story is going to go. And then I just start writing. Now, there are times when I do get stuck, 
But then usually something happens to make the story fall into place. For example, in my latest novel, Why Grandma Doesn't Know Me, there's a place there where I just didn't know how to move the story forward. Enter Squeakers, a little black and white Dalmatian that the family finds in the park abandoned. And this little dog seems to be the cement that kind of puts everything back into place again. So that's what that's how I write. Thank you. Okay, so while majority of your answers seem to be about plot, you did introduce that you all of a sudden realized that your solution to solve your plot issue or moving the story forward was to introduce a new character. And so yeah. that character was introduced. Okay. Yeah. Right, I right. See. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So I think that might help the readers, folks that are also beginning writers in fiction to understand what's going on with story worlds more as we start to dig into it. And a couple of our participants who responded did mention their strategies for documenting their story worlds. And I know this can be quite different for people who are writing short stories or short pieces, shorter books, but particularly, I think, as we get into novels and series, many of us start using charts or forms and lists, and like Annie and Amy mentioned, files to keep track of their characters and their traits. I have developed a system at this point, and maybe even a timeline. My book has something like 30 chapters in it, and probably 35 characters. And so I have a list of characters, and I started off in a table format. That was too hard because of my eyes, so it ended up in bullets. And so I'd be interested how other folks do this, but the bullets are in a certain sequence. And I always go through and make sure that in my bullet list, their character traits are first. So it's their name, what species, because I'm doing sci-fi, I need to know the species, remember which species I made up that they are in, Um, hair, eyes, height, skin color, distinctive features or skills, and then their role or their rank. Um, And those things are always in the same order under each name. And for myself, with my visual issues, I made a giant poster that had those for my main characters, like my 10 main characters. And I could walk up to the poster and just glance and make sure I was on the right track again, using the right features. I didn't create that up front. Up front, I only knew maybe two or three of those things. And gradually, as I was writing, those characters came into kind of like my mind's eye. And I came to know more about them. Now, other things regarding the setting, the space station, but it's mobile. How is the environment created? What is transportation? I figured those things out as I went along and I documented them. So I'd use the same terminology throughout the book. And that's really important, I think, when you're dealing with an entirely fictional story world, because you need to be consistent in it. That's the strategy I've been using. I also found that I wanted a timeline. I drafted the book in about two months because I just started rolling with it and stayed up real late doing that. And 
I drafted it and then I went back and I created a timeline and figured out where major things happened. And that helped me as point of reference as the author. I don't think the reader will ever need it, but it's helpful for me when I go back to remember where things are and to make sure that things are fitting in the right place. Because once or twice, there's a flashback sort of thing. And I want to keep things consistent again. So I'm really interested in what tools people are using. And are you doing these things before you start, as you move along, or after the fact? Cheryl, why don't we start with you? What's your experience with these? The thing to remember and not get frustrated about is that we're continually adapting. We're continually learning what will work and what won't work. You said about tables or spreadsheets. That doesn't always work for me either, but I will do, I don't use what's the same as bullet points, my little stars, and yep. and then um, put things down in order too. So, you know, it's trial and error what's going to work here today and work tomorrow but it's very important because especially if you have a series to know what your characters look like what's going on first up we have pam johnson after pam will be carla hayes yes hello uh uh, kathy and show and all i've been out of town glad to be back um well, one of the things that I haven't used that I just thought about as everybody was talking about is just sitting down and documenting everything, characters and everything in in the world as detailed as possible that you could add to, kind of like the she talked about uh, as having a file. And another thing is um, when using the outlines, you know, like one, two, three, and using the action outlines, you know, putting one whatever the first actions are going to be of the character, put like in parentheses, like a little a, um, things about that particular um, uh, scene or or time that you can uh, outline what's going on in the world. Are they in a room? And what about that room, like in a separate little thing under number one, and then number two do the same thing? Excellent. I have a, you know, some response and then I have a question. Um, I use an outline, especially for the plot line. Um, I, I find that the outline keeps me on track with the chapters and the plot. I also use a list of symbols of um, what are symbols from the various characters and what are symbolic things and, and what they mean. And so that I stay consistent and I can build some really good symbols into the, into the story. And then I do, um, chronologies. I do lifelines of each character. I'll do a lifeline mm. document of each character when they were born um, and then key things in their lives um, along with days and dates and um, why I'm putting them in too. Why is this a key event and you know how is it going to uh, manifest itself later on? And so, so that's, that's sort of, um, the organizational tools that I use. And my question is this. Several of us are probably blind since birth and have never experienced colors and, and, and things like that. How, uh, the most challenging thing for me is to build in the visuals in the world. And I was just wondering if anybody has any, um, tips for people that don't have any real life input. 
um, to put in visuals because if you get that wrong, you, you know, nobody's going to, it's not going to be a believable work. And yet it's, I, I hear that it's really important. So I'm going to let people respond. That's a great question. And you brought up something I'm going to return to in a minute, Carla, regarding lifeline of your characters. I, was, I want to bring up something related to that in a minute. But your other one, if anybody has an answer to that regarding uh, blind from birth and how do you incorporate visuals? Isn't it wonderful? We have these search engines now to look up a synonym that's going to maybe spark something in you. Looking up, how would you explain blue? What does blue taste like? That's where that research comes in. Good idea. And Geppetta. I haven't been blind since birth, but I lost my vision later in life. So I have a lot of thing in my head (laughs) that helps me with my writing. However, it helps me with only things from age 28 down to when, you know, down to birth. It doesn't help me with my, what's going on now. If I wanted to really get into what something looked like and felt like, I would rely on a couple of key people that I know who are sighted who can give me really good descriptions of things. Um, and I would research a lot. I've, there's been many times where I have actually physically gone to a place or wanted to t- feel something for myself. Like if I wanted to feel uh, one of those bouncy castles for kids, I would see if I could go <laughs> and maybe mm-hmm. find something like that and feel it, you know, and maybe not get, you know, but so that the tactile references could help me describe it in a way that it wouldn't matter whether I could see or not. So it, it does take more work. And as visually impaired people, we, we probably need to be immersed in things to, in a, to a certain extent to, to really get um, a good description of things. But we can do it, too. It's just finding who you trust with the visuals and maybe actually, you know, taking the time to actually explore yourself tactily and listen and feel and smell and then, and then write it in. And I would venture to say cultivating those skills and cultivating writing descriptions like that, Annie, could be much richer than the typical writer that has full sight. That They don't even think about including those other dimensions of what things feel, sound, smell like um, consistently as somebody that's completely blind and, and having to use those dimensions to communicate fully through their own experience. There can be a benefit as it is to it as well. Thank you. Thank you very much, Annie. Sure. Are there any specific charts, forms, or documents people use? Carla mentioned several different ones that she uses, but anybody else in the group have any particular um, forms that they have found helpful? I have some in the resource list, but I'm just wondering if there's anything that our writers in the group use that they would want to share with people. There's a number of different character trait forms online uh, that you can use and adapt, but does anybody have any other ones? First up, we have Amy. Hey, I don't really have a form, but I, because of the way my novel is set up, I need to do kind of a family tree. Ah, there you go. um, So when I do that, um, it's... like it mixes in with the other characters. So not only do you have your um, file under your your character, 
then you have, you know, his father, age. I, I also have their sign just for this particular book or like one of my books, um, astrological sign, um, when they were born, um, and then who their parent is, and then offshoots. So um, that kind of thing. So that's kind of how mine is, a little bit how mine's organized. Cool, excellent. That makes me think too, Amy, uh, one of the things I do with my characters, I'd forgotten this, was I have them listed not only individually, but I have another file that has listed each species and I have their names under which group they're in. And then I have another sheet that says, in my case, which research lab they're assigned to because they're, they're mixed up. Different species are in different research labs or on different space vehicles or planets. And so where are they located? Their locations. There's a location sheet. There's a species sheet. And then there's individuals. Each of them has an individual sheet. So I'm breaking them up in different ways. I can, at, at a glance, as it were, see where they fit in the lineup according to different dimensions. And, and that's very helpful when you're, you know, kind of writing on the fly, like when you're, yep. you're sitting down and you're just, you have that idea and you mm -hmm. want to get going and you just have to check something really quick. You have multiple places to check. So, it, yeah, that's helpful. Good point. That That's why I did it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and that's a system I figured out as I was going along, saying, how can I organize this better so I can be more efficient and keep moving in my writing? I um, think it just comes with um, practice. Like each, everything that you write might be different in the way that you mm -hmm. organize. But um, I think it just comes with uh, practice and you find what works for you. You know, now Carla Hayes mentioned something and I had this as a sub question. A lot of times, many of us write additional backstory for our characters we, that they might particularly feed into motivation. Like, why is this particular officer on the space station have such a difficult time interacting with others? Why does she never engage? Why is she not really the leader that you would expect her to be? My writing coach was saying, what is, what's going on here? And I said, knew instantly that there was this issue in her background. And I created this whole backstory as to these different issues that were feeding into the current behavior. Now, that's never revealed in the story itself. But it create, I documented it briefly in my character sheet because it provided a consistency in her behavior and a reason for it. So based out of that, my understanding of her, my better understanding of the character, I can now have her act very consistently throughout the book and the series. A lot of us write additional backstory and Carla Hayes was referring to it I think you are too with many different traits and characteristics and Carla Hayes was talking about the the lifeline of each of her characters which I'm, I'm sure she doesn't go through the entire lifeline in of each character in the story but all those details are available that in a if in a scene somebody might say where are you from that's already decided and it's going to be consistent with the entire individual that she's created. So are others of you finding that you create additional backstory? Is that something that you do again? Do you do this for every one of your characters or you just do it as needed? What's the role of additional backstory of your characters? 
We have two raised hands from uh, before, and maybe they can answer okay, this question. Go ahead. First up is Carol Mackey and then Pam Johnson. I'm obviously not a writer of, of these the things that you're talking about, but they still apply. And I was just trying to cutting back from bunches of characters. But for those of us that might write a single character or a single incident or a, you know, a short story that doesn't have multiple levels to it. I was just wondering how some of what you're talking about might apply to that. How do you think it does? Do you have an idea? In answer to that question, the awareness of these details still apply, even if Mm -hmm. I have only one character, one incident, that I've still got to keep track of that tree that's in the front yard. Or the mm-hmm. and what season it is and what colors of the hair or or all of the details or the characteristics that that's a grumpy old man that lives next door. And next we have Pam Johnson. Organizing in, in a simple way. If you're on the go all the time, like or running around, um, you Slayton stylus or a notebook, and definitely develop a good memory. Real real simple <laughs> way to do it when you're running around. And the second part is backstories are a good idea. They're good as far as developing the character and seeing. Sure, I want you to think about your your sister series or your your Sammy series and think about this backstory part. Some of it's tacit. It's understanding you already have about your characters. I'd, I'd like you to get, talk to us about how the backstories inform your writing. Yep. So next up is Marlene Massat. I wasn't going to actually, the things that, all the things that we're talking about and the reason we're doing this is basically to trigger our brains to help us write better. Because you'd be surprised that when you do all this in the background and take notes and and make your lists and whatever you're doing, it will help your brain to be spontaneous when you're getting to either plotting or having your character speak. It helps to uh, trigger the process of familiarity with those those parts. Thanks. Yes, I think it's all part of your digesting. You're laying out the ingredients, putting them all out on the counter before you start cooking. You're getting familiar with what is it that you're going to be working with. I know Cheryl has described why she might not outline and I hope I'm speaking correctly, Cheryl, you might not always outline some of your books. You think about them a great deal ahead of time before you start writing, and you're you're actually working through what's going to be happening. Right, that we're what outlining you, in our head. <laughs> yeah. What would yeah. you say about the backstory as far as how they inform your characters be, for your book? My sister's book, the two characters are based on my sister and myself, it's not exactly. However, it's the oldest, the organizational one, the A personality. And then the second, my sister actually was the middle child and her characteristics, they come into play when I'm thinking about what I'm writing. Some of the things we did do, I think about, well, how would she act during this time? That has helped me a great deal. And it makes me laugh when I'm writing. (laughs) Find that backstory, even if you don't share it, like you said, because it gives you that feeling as you're 
developing. One more thing is that when I did the history mystery book, one point, the carriage horse talks about how he was feeling insecure because he was so big and he couldn't fit everywhere. Then Sammy shares something about Cindy's background. They all have different feelings. Sometimes you might reveal just a little bit enough to keep the story and the interest going. Very good. Very good. Thank you. I knew that you have, you know, basically you have a huge reservoir for the backstory for that sister series, your experience, and you're modifying it and amplifying it and et cetera, et cetera. But you've got a large reservoir of memories that you're pulling selected pieces out of. And because it's kind of memoir, ideally, we'd almost like to get to a similar place when we're writing our books so that our stories so that we can have a breadth of understanding of our characters, our setting, our context, so that we can pull the things that we need out of there. We don't have to pull everything, but just the things that we need to convey what's going on at the time. Thank you for sharing that. I want to switch over to our reader hats now. So all of us think of ourselves in a reader role. What makes a great story world? What do you think authors need to know? What's your top tip? For authors, don't do this or make sure you do that. Annie Geppetta. Believability. Because if I don't believe what's going on or I'm not immersed in the story at that level, that base level, nothing resonates with me, I'm not going to continue reading. Kim and Pam will follow Kim. When they stay away from the plot for too long, Mm. get on to other stuff, I'm like, I hit my fast forward button. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i do too let me tell Come you on, yeah. i want to know what happened <laughs> good one yeah pam johnson and then carol Mackey. well one of the authors i've always admired was dickens always had a great introduction um like uh, like in the tale of two cities it is the best of, it was the best of times then the worst of times and getting into where you can have a good grasp of the world and those characters having a real feeling and usually as soon as possible. They prompt for next week. Create your storyline. Tell us some of your characters. You don't have to create a story, but you can create some of your story. If you want to write a story, that's fine. But tell us about your characters. Tell us about your story and describe it in 100 words or less. And next week, Catherine Coulter will be here with us. We'll take the last comment once we're off the air. I just want to share in the show notes, we'll have a couple of uh, web resources. And there's a great book by Jim Williamson, Story World First, Creating a Unique uh, Fantasy World for Your Novel. There's some great resources online as well that I'll be putting in the show notes on this topic for those that want more information. I hope this has been helpful for both readers and writers to understand story world creation. Thank you for everybody for making this a fantastic episode. Be sure to visit writingworkswonders.com for these show notes, resources, and previous episodes. Above all else, we want you to be encouraged, inspired, and enjoy the wonder of writing. We look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. 
Tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.